0: How do you feel when your phone rings? How do you feel when, when that cell phone starts to buzz or uh, maybe you hear a ringer and you're embarrassed because you forgot it wasn't on silent? Um, but how do you feel when it rings? Because what I have realized in the last couple of years is that when my phone rings, I get a little anxious. Like I get a little worried. And at first I thought it was just kind of like social anxiety. I'm busy. I don't want to, I don't know. I don't like talking on the phone that much. Maybe it's just like a generational thing. But what I've realized more and more is it's actually just because Phone calls tend to bring bad news. See, in the society that we have, the culture that we have now, like if something's like not that big a deal, you just send a text. I mean, my grandpa's ninety-two. He texts me, like he's like, hey, lunch? Like you just send a text, real quick. Get it off. Get an answer. You know, it's done. And on the other end, if something's like really exciting, if something's really special, like it didn't really happen until it gets posted on social media so you can get all the congratulations and all the likes and all the people that you didn't invite to your wedding, like to say, good job. But somewhere in the middle, between the little and the big, is all the really hard stuff. The things that like, well, you know, I, I need to talk to them. I probably need to have a phone call about this. I don't really know how else to, to make this decision. Or, or the sharing of bad news. Like, they really need to know that this happened. I should, I should call them. That's like the memories that I have more recently of phone calls. I mean, sure, there's still short phone calls, and I get calls every day from spam. But but what I remember most about phone calls recently, like, I didn't ask my wife to marry me over a phone call. I did that in person. But when I found out my grandma passed away, I can hear my grandpa's voice stuttering from grief, the, the deep breath of just saying, She's gone. In college, I had multiple times I'd get phone calls of a friend who'd who'd be informing me that someone else had taken their life, had overdosed, that they were gone. I don't remember a lot of phone calls. I just remember the ones that kind of shared pain. Maybe this is just me. Maybe this is just something that I wrestle with. And so you can call me and I'll answer and I'll be happy. But the reality is, is that this is something that is part of our lives, isn't it? I mean, the reality is that we live in a broken world, that we live in a world full of sorrow and pain and suffering and strife. And whether it's a phone call or some other way of communication, we're all facing things that are challenging. We have things in our past that we still struggle with, that we're trying to figure out how to heal from, how to get over, how to move on from, that we should already be done with, shouldn't we? We're facing things right now like a a diagnosis, that we weren't expecting, that we were running so hard in one direction, seeing success and joy, and then that came. Or on the opposite end of the spectrum. It's just one more thing. Life isn't working out. The job we wanted didn't turn out. The relationship we had broke up. The, the friends that we thought we had, they're just no longer with us and just continue to be pain after pain after pain. This is the world that we live in. It's a challenge to have relationships and friendships. It's a challenge to have community. It's a challenge to have a life without any sort of suffering. It's impossible. And I realized as I started to think through this sermon uh, over the course of this last week, uh, it's an opportunity for us to identify the kinds of pain there really are. And there's really two kinds of pain in the world. There's my pain and there's your pain. There's the pain that I'm experiencing in my life right now. And then there's the pain of others that they're experiencing around me. And it's true for you too, right? There's the pain that you are experiencing in this moment. And then there's the pain of others that that they're experiencing around you. Your coworkers, your classmates, your neighbors, your friends, the people in your church. There's two kinds of pain in this world. So what do we do about it? How do we handle it? Because the reality is I think so many of us can get so overwhelmed by the impact of our own pain that we can't begin to imagine helping others in their pain. What are we supposed to do? Well, Jesus prays. The beauty of Luke chapter 22 is we get this picture at the end of Jesus's life. He's had these three years of ministry. He's called all of these disciples to follow him, especially the 12 who he's poured into. And he's continued to teach them and guide them and equip them so that they could launch the church after his resurrection. And what he does in the midst of, a, of an extreme amount of pain and sorrow and agony praise. So you can follow along as I start in verse 39 of Luke 22, as we see this picture of Jesus turning to God in his pain. And he came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed And he said to them, why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. This is an intense moment in Jesus's life. This is a moment of fear and anxiety and emotional stress and strain of, of anguish. And so how does he respond? He responds as was his custom, his habit, his way of life. It was marked by prayer. As we read the story of Jesus's life in the, in the gospel accounts, we see multiple times, as was his custom associated with Jesus's prayer life. We see that when he goes and performs miracles in front of large crowds, he preaches and teaches in, to all of these groups in the synagogues and in the streets. He continues to move and progress in his ministry. He also focuses time to move away from the crowds and the people to find solitude with God. He finds moments to pray in the morning, in the evening. And now in his time of agony, he continues to turn to God, his heavenly father. So we just celebrated at Christmas, but the beauty of this is that Jesus was the son of God before he was the son of man. What I mean by that is Jesus was fully God. He was the divine son in relationship with the divine father and the Holy Spirit. Now the Trinity is a confusing doctrine to understand practically, right? Like three persons in one being, somehow God is three in one. That's like math doesn't work for us. But the picture is this picture of a beautiful sense of divine community, this intimacy in which they relate. Even uh, we're going to go through a series in Genesis and, and kick that off in a couple of weeks. We're going to see in chapter one, just this intimacy between the father and the son and the spirit and how that births out of this form of creation of and, and community and love and all of these things forming into the earth, and the stars and everything else in between. Right? There is this community and this union that, that the Godhead, the three-in-one, that Jesus and the Father and the Spirit intimately experience. And out of that community comes a desire to create us. It's this intimacy that Jesus continued to experience in his earthly ministry as he took on flesh and became fully God and fully man. As he did that, he still went to his knees in prayer to experience his relationship with his heavenly Father to turn to him in celebrations did you see what you have done, the mighty works and these miracles, these healings, these professions of followers and faith. To turn to him in times of need, God, would you work in the hearts of these hardened leaders? Father, would you move? Father, would you bring mercy and work? Jesus continued to experience this intimacy. And so in his moment of pain, and let's not overlook the type of pain that Jesus is experiencing, right? He was he was willingly, because of his divine nature, he was willingly condescending into earth when he took on flesh, right? And that's a big word to say he was in heaven with this God, this father, and he decided to enter into life as we know it. Terrible, dirty, muck, pain-ridden, stress and strain of sin, the brokenness and imperfection of all the people around him, just as we experience it today, Jesus willingly entered into that. And yet in the night before his arrest, he's turning to God with extreme agony because he sees what's coming. He sees the pain and the suffering that is coming at the hand of not only his arrest, but then his ultimate sacrifice, his death on the cross. And with that, the separation from the father that he's about to experience the pain and the anguish and the weight of the sin of the world born on his shoulders and atoned for by the shedding of his blood. And if we're confused about the agony, look at 44. It says this, and being in agony, he prayed more earnestly and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Agony, filled with anxiety and fear, his his face covered in sweat. And even whether this is a metaphor so that the, the sweat is dropping off him like drops of blood or reality because there is a medical condition in which we can experience such anguish that in our stress and strain, our our blood vessels literally burst and start to pour drops of blood through our pores. You can get the picture that Jesus is wrestling with such an extreme sense of pain that he doesn't know what to do next. He sees what's coming. And so he turns to God in prayer. That's this picture of the son turning to the father in his time of need. Like I have a toddler, my son is a toddler at home and he uh, he's a toddler, so he's crazy, right? Like he he runs around the house and the later it gets in the evening, the closer it gets to bedtime, the more energy he gets. Um, and, and the reality is, is that he's doing this uh, every night now. So you can pray for me for strength and patience. Um, I don't really need patience because I'm like a pastor, so I don't ever get frustrated, but no, of course, like he just doesn't want to listen. And I think the more frustrated I get, the less he wants to listen because he thinks it's funny. Uh, and sometimes it is, which is even more frustrating. <laughs> but he he continues to run around. And the thing is, is the other night he was running around, he was screaming, he was just enjoying himself so much and he was uh, jumping up and down until uh, eventually his sock slipped on the tile and he fell. And instantly, daddy, and he started to cry and he, I started to step to him. He had already gotten back up and just running to me. A son, in his time of need, in his time of pain, running to his father. There's this intimacy that Jesus has as the son of God to the father and to the spirit that, that he continues to kindle and to hold on to and to enjoy even in his earthly ministry, even in his life in the flesh. And this is the beauty of the gospel. That by the blood that Jesus has shed, in fact, the blood that he's right now in this moment in the scriptures praying that maybe some other way could be possible, by that blood being shed, we get to experience that intimacy with God too. We are invited into this relationship with God in which we are adopted as sons and daughters, that our sin is atoned for, that that our sinfulness is turned into righteousness by God because we get to receive the relationship that Jesus has with the heavenly father. We get to have that intimacy. We get to experience that comfort and that care and that peace through him. And so as we look into this passage, as we see Jesus in the midst of his pain and suffering, we don't just see an example of what he did. We see a calling upon ourselves to enter into that relationship in the same way. See, the reality is, is that when we're experiencing pain, when we're experiencing suffering, when we're experiencing hurt, we too can turn to God. Last week, we talked about joy. And it is really good for us and good for our hearts not to be so self-centered that when we experience good things, we don't thank God, right? That's the temptation that we see in our culture is that if I have something good in my life, it was my doing. I worked really hard for this. I did really well. I was born into the right family, some other thing down the list. And, and so we wanna to turn to God in gratitude, but the reality is, and I think so often in, in uh, the church, this is especially the case, is when things aren't going our way, when things are struggling and trying and hard we just want to keep it to ourselves we don't want anybody else to know i'll figure it out like if my marriage isn't going well i'll just I, i'll figure it out i'll google it i'll do something my kids aren't going like they're not behaving the way i want them to they're not doing the things i thought they would they're they're just following a path that i never wanted for them i'll figure it out my job just like, disappeared I'll figure it out. But what we see in the example of Jesus is in even the most extreme sense of pain and anguish turn to our heavenly father. And the first response that we should have in every single instance is to pray to him, to find comfort in him, to find rest in him, to find peace in him. And so it's not just an example of what he did, it's an example for us to follow. And so we should turn to God in our prayer. And as we look at this passage, we see there's three ways that Jesus uh, does this, or at least as he does this, there's three things that we should try to emulate. And the first is this, we should identify our pain to God and we should ask for him to remove it. And that sounds simple. And yet again, so often I hear in in the church culture, there's people who just, if they're willing to identify it, then it's just like, well, this is just my, my situation. This is just God's plan. I just have to endure it. Jesus is the son of God. He knows well. He is well aware of what's about to happen. He's also well aware of why it's about to happen. He knows the pain and the suffering and the anguish of the cross and the separation and all of those things that are coming upon him and the weight of sin on his shoulders. And he knows that all of that pain is coming to save you and me and so many more like us, sinners in need of God's grace. And he still says, Father, If it's your will, let's do something else. If it's your will, take this cup away. Let it pass. This is going to be hard. This is going to be torment. God, please, let something else be the case. Matthew 26 has, an account, has the same situation in Jesus's ministry, accounted just a little bit differently. It highlights that there's three times Jesus does this. And so we have this picture, not just that like, well, God's in control. Uh, Father, I trust you. This is gonna be really hard, but I trust you. And then it's the end, which you can kind of get in this chapter. What you get in Matthew 26 is Jesus doing this. God, take this cup away. If it's your will. If it's not, then your will be done. And then he goes back to it again. God, take this cup away, if it's your will. And if it's not, then thy will be done. And then he goes back to it again. God, take this cup away. And if it's not, then thy will be done. He continues to go back in the midst of his anguish. And he's praying for something that's happening like tomorrow. You can imagine what it looks like to pray for something that's happening in a few months or a few years or over the course of that time period. God, take this cup away, and if it's not, thy will be done. Because that is the second reality is we pray in our pain, we turn to God, we seek that intimacy. Sometimes the answer is no. Sometimes the answer is not yet. Sometimes the answer is to listen or to wait. And So the second thing Jesus does do, the example that he does set is to trust God in the midst of the pain that his plan and his purpose ultimately is good. See, so we live in a broken world, and so we can't avoid pain. We can't avoid suffering, and, and certainly the rest of the world around us doesn't do that at all. We, in fact, we see it all the time. And so we have to trust in God's will as we turn to him in prayer that he will work all things for our good, that he is aware of it. Can we like just pray that he sees us, and that he knows us, and that he loves us, even in the midst of our pain even in the midst of diagnosis we don't need, don't want and certainly don't need, even in the midst of of all of the suffering that we might feel in our own lives, in the midst of our coworkers suffering, in the midst of our neighbors suffering, classmates, friends, that God is still good. And so we can trust in him. And one of the ways that we learn to trust in him is by turning to him in prayer, not keeping silent or, or bottling it up, but turning to him, God, help me to understand. God, work in my heart and my mind to to grasp what you might be doing here. God, be with me. God, guide me. And the third thing is this. Jesus turns to God and acknowledges his pain. And then he trusts in God's plan. But he also doesn't want to do it alone. There's this confusing sentence uh, that continues to recur. It's at the beginning and at the end. So I'll just start in verse 45. And when he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said to them, why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. Jesus was fully God. He had this intimacy with the heavenly father as, as the divine son, but Jesus is also fully man. And there's this picture in in this story where Jesus brings his disciples along into this garden scene, and then he steps off a little further, but they're still there. And he warns them, don't fall into temptation. Now, there's some potential for theological reasons for that. Maybe he wants them to hear what he's saying and and to have some sort of anticipation for what might come next. But the reality is most scholars that that I read this week agree that there's a sense in which the temptation he doesn't want them to fall into is literally falling asleep. Hey, stay awake. Pray. Pray that you don't so that you don't fall into temptation. Even that word sorrow, there's this sense of exhaustion that they're experiencing. It's, it's late in the evening. It's been a long day. They've had a Passover meal. And now Jesus wants to go into this cool, dark place and pray. Stay awake, guys. Because I am experiencing such pain and agony. Why does Jesus care so much that they would listen? Because he wants his friends. He's fully God, but he's also fully man. We were not created to experience this life alone. We were created for community. And that's pre-fall, right? That's before sin. God looks down on the earth and he's making all of these beautiful things on the creation and and he forms man. And the thing he says, it's not good for man to be alone. There's this picture in which each and every single one of us has been created to have relationships with others. That's the beauty of the Trinity, that the image of the relationship that they're modeling for us is for us also to experience that in the context of our community, for us to experience that with one another. And Jesus is showing that in the midst of his agony and anguish, he wants his friends to stay awake and be with him. And so what we see is we need to invite others into our pain too. We need to invite others to be praying for us. We need to invite others to know what's going on in our lives, to take a step even of faith, to be willing to do that. That's why we have a prayer team every Sunday, right? Every Sunday on over here by this table and over here by this table, there are people standing there waiting for you to come forward during the final song and to share what's going on in your life, to share the things you're excited about, to praise God about, to share the things that are struggling with, that that are hard in your life, that are challenging in your life, to share something in between, like I'm I'm about to move. Whatever it is that you feel uh, is going on in your life, it's an opportunity for others to be praying for you and especially in your pain to invite them into that. And then we take those prayer requests and then every Monday our staff prays for them. So every Monday we sit around our conference table and we talk about the weekend. We talk about what's upcoming. We talk about other things in ministry, but we close our time with 30, 45, whatever amount of time it takes to pray because we care about our our community. We care about you. And so we pray for physical needs, for spiritual needs. We pray for family members, for the loss of family members. We pray for sicknesses and and illnesses. We pray for all of these things because we care about you. And so that's why we encourage you through our website and through Connect Cards and through this prayer team to share your needs because we care about you. We care about your pain. And we pray for you. That's why we focus so much on community groups. Something you hear a lot around here is that church is more than a conference that meets 52 times a year, 51 times a year maybe. Um, some of you understood that. Uh, it's more than a conference. It's about the community of God's people coming together. Right? It's not content with sermons and songs. It's a community of people serving and sacrificing together. It's about coming together and and encouraging one another and and living life together in a way that reflects our needs and our wants and our hopes and our dreams and our suffering and our pain and doing it all in this, this mad, crazy thing that we just bring together in the name of Jesus, really that he's bringing together. It's an opportunity for us to share our lives with one another. That's why we focus so much on community groups. Because there's a way for us to connect with other people, to, to share the things that are going on, to build relationships that support and encourage one another, to, to, to build one another up, even in the midst of our pain and suffering. And maybe forced, first and foremost is to pray for one another. I think there's something that just like is starting in my group even more is just uh, doing that. Like in in our church center app, we have our group and in our group, people share these prayer requests. Hey, I'm doing this job interview uh, tomorrow or today. Uh, hey, we just, we had this issue happen in our kitchen. Can you pray for it? Can you, can you figure, out? we're trying to figure out how to fix it. Like there's these things that just come up. Some of them are small, some of them are bigger, but they impact our lives. And so we just share them with one another. The cool thing is we pray, and sometimes we respond by bringing meals and sometimes we respond by, by coming and helping people do things like move, which is a huge step, a real sacrifice if you've ever helped anybody move. It's an opportunity for us to just realize that, that life needs community. It's people. It's what we're here for, is to have a relationship with God and relationship with other people, right? This, this first and second greatest commandment love God and love others. And we don't love others if we're just focused on ourselves turning inward on ourselves, right? That's the culture that we live in, right? The, the reason that politics are so hard is self-centeredness. The reason that money is so hard, it's selfishness. The reason that marriage, the reason that, that raising kids, the, re, the reason that our city and our country and the reason that we struggle so much in life is because we can be so tempted to be focused on ourselves, to turn inward on ourselves, to just look at what I want and what I need. And as long as I get some of that, that's the best I can do. That's the culture we live in, right? That's the air that we breathe. That's what it looks like to have the independence and autonomy of an American who's striving and working and trying to accomplish everything that I can for me, or maybe for me and my family, if I'm really good and generous. I don't wanna do that. I don't wanna live in a a culture like that, but even more so, I don't wanna live my life like that. I want to live a life that images Jesus, that works to be salt and light, that isn't tempted by the self-centeredness of our culture, but works to be the generous outworking of the gospel in me and through me. I want to be a person that seeks to, to turn to others in their need, to turn to others in their pain, to turn to others and contribute in some way that isn't just about myself, but about others, and the first thing, the least thing I can do is pray. I mean, the reality is for me, like the thing that keeps me up at night more than anything is like uh, as a pastor, maybe especially, but, but I just like, when i wish I would have said something differently to somebody, when I wish I, I would have encouraged them differently or, or I wish I would have corrected something that I said, when, when I wish I would have been silent instead of saying something, but I never regret praying. I never regret turning to God and just lifting up whatever it is that they're experiencing, good, bad, in between. I never regret praying. Jesus turns to God and others in the midst of his pain. And so should we. As we close, there's really two groups that have just been on my heart uh, in this passage, uh, but really also I think just in the new year for our church. Uh, And the first group is our college students. Uh, College students, I really want to encourage you find a church and commit to it. Like find a church and really dig in deep. Build relationships with the other students that are in your church, but even go a step further. Uh, My life was transformed by college and that time. And it was really transformed by the church that I got connected to. So my freshman year at ASU, I didn't go to church, uh, maybe for Easter. I can't even really remember that well, Uh, but it just wasn't on the top of my radar. But But at the end of that freshman year, I got connected to Bethany Bible. uh, And it was an opportunity for me to start to study God's word. And as I began to do that on Sunday mornings, I started to feel convicted that I should do more. And so I began to serve. And out of serving, I started to meet other students. And meeting other students, we started having opportunities to gather formally in like a Bible study, informally, like just taking sandwiches to homeless people. It radically changed my life, but it wasn't just the peers, the friendships that I built. I mean, some of these people I haven't physically seen in years, and I could call right after this and hopefully not get the anxiety that I get when I get calls. But it changed my life because I also got the opportunity to build relationships with people in other stages, 10, 20, 40 years older than me, and some of them just to know that they were praying for for me, just to know that they cared about me. That is the difference between getting connected into a community, into a church and to finding a really exciting worship night. Just to be frank, like I went to some fun worship nights, the church transformed me. I wouldn't be standing here today without a church. So I really wanna encourage you college students to find that church. I love this church, obviously, I'm biased. I'll just be honest. But if it's not this church, I will help you find a church. Like I I care more about you being plugged into a church that preaches the gospel and builds the community to build you up than about you being at PBC. And the second group is this, our older saints. Uh, And I'll just say like, you're old. Um, I, I distinguish that because some of you are like, wow, that's kind of offensive. But like when you're old, you're just like, I'm old and it's kind of funny. So you know you're old. And if you're a little offended, you're not who I'm talking to yet, but you'll get there, Lord willing. I hope to get there too. But the reality is this, and this, this isn't like just a physical like thing, but the reality is you're running out of time. And I, I'll just be honest, I've been in ministry almost 15 years now. I feel like I'm running out of time. So it's not just your age or your, your stage of life, but you're mature enough to know you are running out of time. And there's some things that you're experiencing right now that are causing real pain, physical pain, right? I, like I mentioned my grandpa earlier in 92, he just like, he's doing great. He doesn't walk the way he used to walk. We used to play basketball when I was a kid. He doesn't do that anymore. I get worried when he gets sick now a lot more than I did when I was a kid. And you know that for yourself and for your friends. And, and the really hard thing I think probably is that uh, my grandpa was in a stage. I have like a, a weekly standing lunch with my grandpa. Um, and most of the time we, we are able to make it, but sometimes we can't because he was like going to funerals. And there was a stage that uh, he was like going to a funeral every week. And I thought, man, that must be so hard. And then I realized it was actually harder when the funeral slowed down a lot. And he was going to a funeral like every month, one or two a year, because the people that he knew, that he loved, that were his friends, his wife, my grandma, they'd all gone. I know that there is pain and suffering in this stage of life that for some of you, you never anticipated. And there's other things that are more particular to your situation because of your kids or because of your spouse or because of the physical things that you're facing. We care deeply about you. We're like, as a church, we love you. And as a church, we need you. We need you in this community because the thing that we have as a church is a multi-generational body, right? I don't just want a bunch of excited young adults, though I obviously love because I just talked about how important you are. I need older saints who have experienced these things, who have gone through these things, who know what it means to be married, not just for five years or five minutes, but 50 years. The pain, the joy, the suffering, the excitement, all of those things, we need you. We care about you. You guys need each other. There's beautiful things that happen on Sunday morning in some of our Sunday school classes that are really like large community groups. That every time I walk in there, I just get this sense that uh, you guys have cared for one another for so long and prayed for one another for so long. That's what I want our church to look like 30 years from now. Different people doing the same thing, caring for one another, loving one another, entering into the life with one another. And we need you to continue to set that example. But here's my challenge to our older saints. Sit somewhere else next Sunday. I'm not kidding. Find a new face and meet them. Especially one of those college students, one of those young adults, they tend to sit over here. So let's maybe just encourage you guys to sit over here so we don't have to like preach over here next Sunday. But sit somewhere else to meet somebody new. I was talking to one of you just before the service, and there's real pain when you have uh, the loss of a family member, uh, and the and just the continued ongoing struggle of that, and, and the grief, and and at the same time, she was so excited to share all the things that were going on here. Like she was so excited. She's been a, uh, she was at Bethany, and now she's a part of PBC, and she was so excited to share how much she loves what's happening on this campus. And she, all she said is she needs. Um, maybe I shouldn't use her words. She also had a challenge for her peers. Dig in, dig in and and pray for those next generations. Pray for those people that are with us. Pray for our community. Like maybe you're experiencing a lot of pain and I hope that if you are, you would come down even just after this uh, sermon and and turn to our prayer team and, and invite others into it. And maybe you're not. And I hope that you would turn and pray for somebody else but this is an opportunity for us regardless to turn to God and to rest in him and to seek his will as we move forward into this year. As we continue to try to care and strive for one another in the midst of a world that says, look at yourself, look at your own wants, look at your own desires, look at your own needs. And when all of that is met, maybe you can think about someone else and to say, we don't want any of that. We want Jesus and he wants us to care for one another. And if you're worried about me, then I don't need to worry about myself. I'll just worry about you. Let's close in prayer. God, thank you so much for just bringing us together. Thank you that we could come to you, that you've invited us into a relationship with you through Jesus as sons and daughters. God, an intimacy that we have in the midst of our pain, in the midst of our struggle, in the midst of, of everything that we face in this life. And even in the midst of confusion where we're trying to help others in those seasons, that we can turn to you for strength, for wisdom, for comfort, and for peace. God, we trust that you are in control. We trust that you have a plan, that you're working all things for our good in the midst of the brokenness and imperfection and stress of this world, that you are good. That you see us and that you know us and that you love us. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.